Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Welcome, mommy. Welcome, gentlemen. I trust that you would have a lot of good stuff for us today. There are a few questions that we would want to go through. Some of them are a bit tricky and may not be really something that some of you have experienced personally. And so I'm trusting that those of us here in the audience will also participate. So if something comes up and you think that you can talk to a particular issue or you have a question or just a suggestion, something that you want to bring up, please, you are free to do so. Just lift your hand, we'll take note of it, and then we will listen to you as well. Amen? Great. So my first question is this, and um, <laughs> I'm not sure who to start from, but let me start from my mommy, because I know you have kids who are older now, who are adults. It says that my son goes to university in two years. He's likely to go to university abroad. I get anxious at the thought of it. I don't think I have prepared him to live independently outside and make wise choices. How do I prepare my son? How do I prepare my son? Mommy, please help us with this one. Um, the question of anxiety. I think all parents get anxious about their children, especially when they're leaving us. Hello, hello. Okay. So I think that everybody gets anxious about children. No matter how old they get, you, we still get anxious about them. And for a child leaving parents and going abroad, it can be quite, quite anxiety causing. But if parenting has been done right in the first place, and if you can see that your child has his mind or her mind in the right place, we just need to uh, let them feel confident about what they're going to likely to face away from home. The way I did it for my children was to take topical issues like what just recently happened with the police, right? And I talked to them about it. Like, you know, we'll read the newspaper story and then try to look at the right things that should have been done or what we think may have helped. And by that, I think I got my children to think about issues because I always told them that nobody has all the right answers. Everybody makes a mistake. And if they know, first of all, um, one of the things I try to let them understand is that Christ has paid all our debts. And so even if we make a mistake, he already knows about us. He knows everything we do. So all we need to do is ask him for correction, change our spirits, 
once we see a better perspective to take it on. And I always told them that it feels good when you're doing the right thing, no matter what the situation is. If, if you can think about it and come to a point where you feel good about whatever the situation, that is the right thing to do. I don't know if it's... Yeah, it's very helpful, Mami. I'd like to know, what age did you start doing this? At what age? How old were they when you started telling them about these topical issues and trying to teach them the Bible and get them to know Jesus and all that? When they were in their teen years, because those are the most difficult years to deal with, because there's all the peer pressure and people doing all kinds of stuff. And so I always told them that we are special because we have been bought with Christ's blood and we cannot behave like other people who are not Christians. Mm. So the Christian attitude, I don't know if it's helped them, but it sure did. I think that that helped them mm. because if you know that nobody knows all the answers, what feels good to you, what you have built on will be the best thing for you to do. That's what I told them. I may have not yeah. done a good job, but I believe I believe you that did, that Mommy. Well done, and thank you so much. So what Mommy is saying here is that discipleship is key. Everybody be intentional about it. You don't wait for when the child is ready to go. They now start thinking, how do I prepare them to go? But right now, from an early age, we begin to intentionally disciple them, taking topical issues, teaching them to think for themselves and make right decisions with real-life issues. I don't think I've begun doing that with my son, so I, I, it's a good tip for me. I'm going to start doing that. But also laying the foundation of Christ, letting them know Christ as well. Because really, it's, 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 it's a step of faith. You can never be with them forever. One day they will leave. So I think it's, it's a really good counsel you've given us. Lay solid foundations in Christ. Give them practical ways of learning to think and make right right and godly decisions for themselves. Thank you so much, Mommy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Move on to Dr. T. Dr. T, I know you so well, and I admire the way you've raised your kids. Dr. T's first daughter is about 18 now. Christelle is 18, and she's actually gone to be in school in America from when she was like, what, 14, 15? And she's, she's doing so well. She's stopping her grades. Before she left here, she was doing so well, so disciplined. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And I, I would be scared to let my child go alone like that to America at that age. But Christelle is doing so well. Then there's Jordan who comes to church here. There's Anna Michelle. They're doing so well. So Dr. T and Vanessa, good job with raising them. Look, Jordan, you see him here quiet. He is so focused. He is doing very well in school. Internationally, he travels to go and do UC Mass Abacus um, contests. Actually goes to train other people in other countries now. He's an ambassador for UC Mass. He's done spelling bee to international levels. He plays tennis. He plays football. He, he plays musical instruments from when he was a child. I mean, I look at them like, how did you guys do it? When I said, Kafi, how did you do it? So, Kafi, the question to you is this. How do I keep my children away from distractions? Because obviously, you've managed to do that very well. Please help us. I think regarding distractions, uh, what I have realized, or let me put this out there, let me, let me tackle this from a different angle. When we say distractions, from whose point of view? The parent's point of view, 
or the child's point of view or from who else's point of view. Because what I've realized today is that yesterday's distractions are not necessarily today's distractions. Or yesterday's distractions <laughs> may be today's opportunities. So before we categorize something as distractions, we should know or we should be careful about it. Sometimes it's something like um, being more open-minded, if you like, about certain things. For example, if you ask some of the professional footballers today, they'll tell you that football was considered a distraction at the time. And now that is what even <laughs> their parents are looking up to them for, you know. And common distractions would probably list uh, TV, phone, games, things like that. And I realized that sometimes uh, even the TV, um, sometimes it's, not, it's difficult to quickly say it's a distraction because sometimes when I see my, my son watching TV and I go to see what, what he's watching, he's watching, you guess what he's watching, he's watching the food channel and he's looking at recipes. And he recently asked me to buy him a recipe book, you know. Or if he's watching, sometimes they're watching music. You don't know, maybe he wants to be a music producer or something. Or he's watching, uh, playing games. Maybe he's, he's sticking in, um, he's assimilating. Hello? Maybe he's assimilating a lot to become a software developer or something. Anyway, so those are some of the things we need to consider before using our, um, before categorizing certain things as distractions. Maybe we're looking at it from where we're coming from, that kind of thing, but things have changed greatly. But then having said that, there are clearly certain distractions that will um, prevent our children from meeting their goals. And uh, I would say, for example, you can use strategies such as um, having a timetable for them, a clear timetable, you know, and you have to discuss it. You have to get their buy-in. You know, you have to say, this is what we are going to do. Um, you have to put alerts. You have to put prompts. In the beginning, you may have excuses. I forgot. I was tired. Things like that. You may have to um, even remove or manage the distractions. You may not be able to remove it totally but you can manage it. Um, you may have to discuss the big picture with them. This is what we are trying to achieve. Education-wise, um, maybe going to uni in two years, those are some of the targets we are trying to, uh, to achieve. Or, uh, so those are some of the practical things you can do. But like I said in the beginning, let's look at some of the things we categorize as distractions because they may actually be the, the child expressing his passion or interest in a certain way and then we may need to manage it or you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really very, a very important point. Thank you so much for opening our eyes and broadening our perspectives. Indeed, my son will tell you that he wants to grow up and become a gamer. I think it's a distraction. <laughs> video games, video games, you know. And the older one, you saw him come sing here this morning. He wants to be a musician, you know. And I'm like, ah. his mom especially is like, you go to school, get me the certificate. Do something else, and afterwards you can go and sing. You know, sometimes we, we need to be more broad-minded, open-minded, give them opportunities and see how things work out. And I think you said something very important, the discipline, 
the timetable, getting them to do what they have to do. Then that way, they don't spend all their time doing what we consider a distraction. At least what has to be done gets done as well. And honestly, Catherine and Vanessa have been excellent at doing that. They've been really, really good at doing that. To the extent that I'll confess today, some of us, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you started doing that with your kids, some of us thought you were being too hard on them. But today, I see the benefits in their lives. Very, very straight. Bedtime is bedtime. This time is that time. That's, that's how they have money to raise them. And I see that discipline at work now in their lives. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Charlie, please, please clap for them. They are, they, are, they are educating us. They are educating us. Now we turn to a software NK. NK, this is a question for you. So my daughter cherry picks her school subjects. She only focuses on the subjects she loves. How do I get her to pay attention to the other subjects? Uh, I mean, that's a very important question. And uh, I think all smart kids do that. Um, and Today they are turning things upside down for us. So it says they are all not distractions. <laughs> now they are saying smart kids do that. Okay. Because when you become an adult, how much of what you learned in school do you apply in adult life? So the way the educational system is designed is that it levels everything and you end up becoming an average adult. You know a bit about everything, but you are not passionately, intensely great in anything. You know? So I feel that if you meet <coughs> the smartest, most intelligent people, what you discover is how ignorant they are in many other areas of life. And that's because they tend to be more focused on what interests them. Uh, in fact, when the Bible talks about double-mindedness, a part of double-mindedness is not being sure what. And I feel that as parents, when children already show specific interests, first we have to celebrate that because it tells you that they understand what it means to be focused, to show what they are interested in, what appeals to them. And you have to celebrate that and you have to respect that. If you kill that, there's the danger of they becoming adults who are never sure on what is a good decision. And we have too many adults like that. They, they can't seem to make up their mind. You know, they go for a job interview or they tell you they need a job. You ask them, what job do you want? Oh, any job that will pay me well. Like, what is any job? I definitely have heard that before. What is any job? Oh, who do you want to marry? Oh, if they are Christian and God-fearing. But what is Christian and God-fearing? You know? So children cherry-picking are already showing a sign of, of being decisive. And you have to celebrate that. Now, the thing with children is that if you show interest in what interests them, at some point they will show interest in what interests you because you are their friend and they want to make you happy. That is deep. Please take note of that. You know, so if, if they love math and they see you put the effort, maybe you are not a math person at all, but they see you put the effort, you celebrate them, you discuss with them who is your favorite, this, why, and all that. When you draw their attention to why the other things will help them, they know you are in their corner. 
And so it becomes easier for them to learn the other subjects, not for themselves, but for you. You know, there are subjects children learn for themselves because they like. And if they like you as a parent, there are certain subjects they will learn only for you. They will get certain certificates, never for themselves. I'll get a PhD for mommy because mommy always wanted me to have a PhD. On the day they graduate, mommy, you are happy. Okay, where is my guitar? And I'm going to play my music. But for them to do that, they must love you enough. And that is something you have to cultivate by first celebrating them. Wow. I hope this helps. Wow, 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 wow. Honestly, all the answers I'm getting today have thrown me off completely. You want to say something about that, okay? Yeah, I totally agree with him. You know, sometimes when the child is so good at everything, then later on, purpose or direction becomes a problem. Where he, has showed, where he shows clear strengths, sometimes it, make, it becomes much easier. But also sometimes at the practical level, um, when she's cherry-picking, sometimes it's just because of basic things like even the teacher who is presenting the subject, you know. So anytime you think of the subject, you think of, this teacher, his, maybe his presentation style or the subject is not even being made real to the, to the, to the child. It's not making the child um, appreciate the subject. So sometimes even basic things like just getting an extra teacher in that subject to bring the subject to life changes the whole perspective of the child or taking the child on uh, field visits to relevant places that will bring that subject to life, or you know, practical, you know, practical little things like that, bring the subject to, to life for you know, for the child. So uh, I realize that sometimes that's um, just the teaching or the presentation style or the you know, uh, different childs appreciate different children appreciate different styles of teaching. They want the thing made more real to them, you know. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I think YouTube is another very good tool we can use for that, isn't it? You can't afford to get a private teacher. This is yeah, excellent, excellent. For my son, I found someone on YouTube called Math Prof, like Math Professor, a lady, and she just makes it so simple and so easy. So you could explore channels like that as well. Thank you so much. Now we'll open it up to the floor. Maybe there's something you want to say. Maybe there's a question you want to ask. Please just raise your hand. We'll give you a mic. And then you can contribute if you are. Hello, good morning. So um, this is not my experience, but it's um, a friend's a friend's experience. So a friend of mine has um, twins, and then they are in university. Um, no, before you go to the university, the international system. So secondary school or system. When they finished. And then she took them to the graduation. When they came home, one of them said, I'm gay. And this is my friend who is tongue-speaking, very spiritual, and, you know, been to church all her life, her husband as well. So she started praying with other people, started, and the husband was like, well. So when she told me, me, I couldn't say anything because at that point, I don't know, but I want to know, in this case, what should they do? Because the boy is grown already, he's an adult, and he can decide to leave home. What, what should they do? 
This is a nightmare question for any parents. I, I don't know <laughs> what it would take to answer, but um, Auntie Aku would give it I'll, a try. I'll try to answer that. My sister, my late sister, has a son. They were raised in the U.S. and Niaite has decided that he's gay. His mother, my sister, is gone. She's going to be with the Lord. So when I became aware of it, I was scared. But what I did was I thought about my sister. Would my sister disown her son because he's gay? Certainly not. And then I prayed about it. Jesus, when he came, did not like discriminate between prostitutes and God-fearing people. And that became my guide. Like he's my nephew, he, whatever the choices, whatever the raising up was, this is who he has chosen to be. I love him, I pray for him. He works for one of the major um, fashion companies. So he's been posted to Holland, of all places. So it's really scary sometimes. But I know he's a very sensible young man. And he calls, you know, every birthday for everyone. He would call. So all we can do is pray for them, right? That's what I think. Because Jesus did the same. He did not cast people away because they had chosen different lifestyles. He accepted us all. And if we believe that God accepts all of us with all our shortcomings, I think your friend, you can encourage her. That's my little contribution. Wow, 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 wow. Mom, for, for your generation, this is your answer, dear. Thumbs up for you. <laughs> Can yes, I, can I, uh, NK, please yes. come in. I know that the church is scared of the word gay. If we hear LGBTQI+, like we see the devil with his two horns and his tail. But at the, at the root of LGBTQI+, is identity. Who am I? Who am I? So if at some point somebody says, I'm not a woman, I may look like a woman, but I'm a man. Or somebody says, I'm not attracted to women, even though I am a man. I find myself attracted to men. At the root of it is identity and love. I've had the privilege of getting to know a lot of gay people. And there hasn't been one who, as we got to know each other closer, hasn't had some trauma in childhood. At least all the gay people I know or have known, there's always some level of rejection. A parent who wanted, who had had five sons and was hoping that the sixth one would be a, a girl and it was a boy, so they start dressing them and treating them like a girl, and then now uh, they don't know. 
all sorts. But because at the root of it is identity, the root solution is also love. It is acceptance. It is just as God will accept you as you are. And this may sound confusing for some people, but the scripture says that whilst we were yet sinners, he died for us. If you consider homosexuality a sin, it doesn't matter how abominable it is to you, it is still sin. And it says that in that state of what today the church will call decadence, God still fully, unconditionally loved them. And if you are his ambassador here on earth, you can't do otherwise. The biggest problem with LGBTQI plus is that the church has become a voice of hate and not a voice of love. See, if a gay person is being chased by a mob and they see a church, they see a mosque, and they see a shrine, they will run past all three because all three places are not safe for them. In fact, they are safer in the street with a mob chasing them than entering a church, you know? And, and that is the problem. So when a gay person finds out you are a Christian, uh, I think Brother Ken is here. Yeah, he told me a story of when he went to university and they gave him a roommate and the roommate was gay. The day the roommate found out Ken was Christian, he applied to the university to give him a different room. He was afraid of sharing a room with a Christian because Christians are known for being homophobic. You see. But that is, this is the gospel. A lot of people don't realize that historically, the time Jesus walked the earth, homosexuality was very rife. If you study philosophy, okay, Roman civilization, which was the culture at the time when Jesus walked the earth, was based on Greek civilization. And a lot of Greek philosophers were gay. You know? In fact, the Athenians, and they, they practice it in all forms because they will recruit young people for the army as, as long, young teens. You know? The Athenians, for example, were called boy lovers. Uh, Socrates, uh, Aristotle, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, all these people were gay. We want to think it's a new thing white people have brought, but no, it is not. We say it is not African culture. It is not true. It is, it is what happens when a person is not sure who they are, and often love is missing, and they are confused. You know? I mean, I can't say that I have the definition for it, but one thing I know is that if you meet a gay person, and they know, they know that, they know beyond every reasonable doubt that you love them. You love them. At some point, they will listen. I know gay people who have become born again, like fully born again, and have left that life behind them. But it wasn't because somebody told them. It was because they truly encountered Christ. You know, This is a solution. God can, I mean, we are in church, and uh, some of us sinned this morning before we came to church. We were either rude to somebody on the street, uh, uh, probably, you know, you understand, like, Sin has never left the church. You know, and, and, and so I want us to, with humility, look at how we look at gay people. Because if you grew up typically in church, 
your disposition and attitude tends to be one of hate or looking down upon them and never love. And yet God commands us to love them. Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To summarize, it will, I think a good summary will be that we should be like Jesus and love the sinner, no matter what the sin is, with all of our hearts, even as much as we hate the sin. Would that be a good summary? Yes, we are not saying it is right, it's normal, there's nothing wrong with it. We are not saying that. Like every sin, it is a sin, and God hates sin. But God loves people. And God doesn't hate any homosexual. He doesn't hate any sinner. No, he hates the sin. And we should be the same. We should love them. We should, we should care for them. We should support them. We should be friends with them. If they ask us what we think about their practice, we let them know that we believe that it is sin. But that should, if you show them that you separate their person from their sin and you accept them, honestly it works. But that is how grace works. I think I've said on this platform before that Philippiansi defines grace as you can never do anything to make God love you more. And you can never do anything to make God love you less. That's a good definition to remember. God's love for us, the grace of God is unconditional. It's not dependent on what you do or do not do. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. He hates sin and he will want to correct sin in you and work that out so you can have a good relationship with him so you can enjoy his love. But he still loves them and we should love them too. Time is really gone now. I don't know if we can take one question or John, can we take one more? Okay. Uh, hmm. I have, you've given the mic to someone. There are two hands. The mic has gone to someone. I will see if we can take yours too. Yes. Okay. Um, good morning. So I'm the primary care provider for my younger brother. He's 20. He doesn't like to leave his room. The only time he leaves his room is when he's going to school. But he's always in his room. He's, he doesn't leave the house. And it bothers me because I feel like is going to make him socially awkward. He doesn't have friends. He's never introduced anybody to me as a friend. And every time I ask him, like, don't you have friends? Don't people come around? I've never seen you. He just brushes it off. And he's always in his room. He's either doing um, online school, playing PS4, and, or on his computer. And the only time he will actually socialize is if we're doing like a family gathering or we're going somewhere. But apart from that, and I don't know whether it's okay or I should get him out of it. It bothers me. It bothers me to a large extent. And I would say rightfully so. <laughs> well, I think, um, who, who will take this one up for us? Can I ask a question? Okay. Does he socialize with the family, like his siblings, his cousins? So he would go to my younger sister's house and play with the nep my nephew and nieces every weekend or so, um, but that's about it. Um, does he have, like, have you introduced him to some clubs? Like, even in school, if there are clubs that he's interested in, I even have, the Scripture Union Club or other clubs. I have asked him a few times that are there things that they do in school? He's like, oh, everybody's lame. He acts like, like everybody's lame in school. The only thing he goes to school is to go and learn, and that's it. He doesn't care to do anything else. Well, I would say a starting point is um, 
what he likes. So he likes uh, techy stuff. Yes. Computers, that kind of thing. Yes. So you could um, introduce him <laughs> to similar-minded. You know, there are people who get together and play PlayStation. Well, when he's and, in his room, he's online playing with people. Uh, but physically, <laughs> you know, if if you had uh, two or three, you know, friends who you know are um, are, uh, are good models, if you like, and they like playing games, they come to the house or something or wherever, and you say, oh, these, these guys are here, they would like to, you know. And he comes and he connects with them at that level, and then it grows from there. So even at that level, while they are playing the games, they are interacting. And he realizes that, oh, it's no big deal to, you know, in, interact with people or that kind of thing. Next time, they are going to, uh, for a program somewhere or something, it's easier for him to connect with them. So use what use what he has or use what he likes to form the basis to draw him in to the social world. Because I think it's important to be worried because somebody even said that social capital is even more important than financial capital, this you know, the networking, that kind of thing. It's important for his mental health, everything. And you don't know what he's doing in his room when he's doing that kind of stuff. So it's important to draw him out. Uh, you know, using that. Uh, that's what I'll say. He might protest, uh, but still draw him out. Uh, yeah, I, I know what it means to to be like that. Uh, sometimes it's related to trauma from childhood. Sometimes the person already is naturally introverted, and then if you grow up in a dysfunctional environment, that makes it worse. If you go to school and you are because you are awkward, you know, people laugh at you or they make funny jokes about you, you know, some form of bullying, all these things will make you a recluse and you keep to yourself. You know, if you are not good at sports, if you are clumsy as a kid, you know, you are too nerdy, you can't hold a conversation. Yeah, so then the tech world becomes very attractive. But you have to intentionally pull him out. He will resist, but keep pulling him out, keep pulling him out. Uh, it's one thing Gloria did for me that, that has really helped, you know, like consistently pulling me <laughs> along, you know. Some of you are my friends because Gloria pulled me along. I don't know, it's, uh, in the, it's harsh, but that's the truth. Left on my own, I, I'll be in my head. You know, just, yeah. So please pull him out. Yeah. All right. There were two other hands up, but we are very late now. So let's take those two quickly. Just one response to each of the questions, and then we will... Round up. So mine will be in two seconds. Just to say that there are also some very exceptional children. They're different. But we're not trained to handle those kind of people. And elsewhere, you will get professional help. And they will try to profile the child for you. So you know how to. Because some of the methods may not work. They may, not, may, they may even get the child to drift further away, farther away from you. So... Maybe when you try all the things that the panel has um, suggested, you can also see if we can get some people who are really competent in that area to try to understand the child because some of them are not even born for their generation. And, and if they get the right support, they will turn up to be very, very exceptional. Thanks. Wow, that's a good one. Thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you.
Uh, quickly, Joe, you know the first question you asked about somebody going to uni in two years. Yeah. I just had some thoughts. Two years is a long time. You still have time to prepare. So uh, leading up to that, you should be putting more and more responsibility on the child. I am at home, you know, taking care of his own laundry, cleaning more and more, maybe even handling the, monitoring the, even utilities in the house, you know, paying for it, um, letting the child, uh, um, basically be putting more responsibility on the child. Even let the child even uh, volunteer somewhere, to some charity work at an orphanage or something. The, uni the universities now, they, are, they like that kind of thing, the outside universities. Christelle actually volunteered at an Osu orphanage, Osu uh, children's home before she left, and that made a big difference in her admission process and all that. And then also involve them in the decision-making process, your decision-making processes. Identify the issue, discuss, see, let them see the things you put weight on, that kind of thing, because those are the kind of things they'll be doing on a day-to-day basis when they're living alone in the, you know, outside, yeah. Wow, thank you so much. Very practical, practical tips for us all. Yes, Mr. Chachu, and then time won't allow anymore. Yeah. Cosmos, your question may have to go to Tuesday. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I was brought up in a mission house where I think that everything is flexible. But I give my parents a very tough time. Talking to me regularly, sometimes in the group, did not help. So... My father decided to talk to us individually. I think there was a time I did something and my father was talking to me and I got annoyed. So as I was walking out from the inner room, my mother was saying, if you talk to her and he doesn't want to take it, leave him alone. Then the man said, distraction is waiting for them outside. I will keep talking to them until they change. So when I was growing up, secondary school, I picked a friend who happens to be an SU president who, is, who was brought up in the Christian home. But his lifestyle is not helping. After school, he traveled outside. And when he came, he was even surprised that I got married. He came to my house and was telling my wife that this your husband, I did not expect that he would get married. He did not change until the very last moment that he got sick, that he would die. He called me and said he wanted to have a breakfast with me. So the two of us, we went and we sat down. And he told me that we have been the good friends. But I've realized that Despite all the challenges we are facing as a Christians, you have stood up, but in a way, I went reward. My doctor has confessed to me that within one to six years' time, I will not live, I will die. So I'm calling you to tell you to hold on to your Christian faith. So sometimes, it's always good that we are trained and sometimes too, you will meet friends 
who are Christians. But if you don't take care, their lifestyle will influence you. But I stood up because of the training I've had. Thank so you we much. should keep on talking. Yes. We shouldn't give up. We should talk to keep our, our the children. They should go. And we should talk to them individually. Thank you. My children, you. I talk to them individually. When they misbehave, I target them and then I push them to a corner and I told them, do you did this thing. Don't do it again. And I Amen. talk to them on the quiet. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We couldn't take Cosmo's question, but uh, we will continue on Tuesday. Just two scriptures to, to close us. Isaiah 8, verse 18. It says, Here I am, and the children the Lord has given me to be a sign and a wonder. I love it. I love that scripture. So God has given us children so that we will raise them up in a way that they become a sign and a wonder to the world. It's a huge task he's given us. It's not easy, but he will help us do it. The second one is Isaiah again, 40, 11. Isaiah 40, just to encourage us. It talks about our good shepherd himself. Isaiah 40, 11. It says that he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. Did you hear that? That's a promise. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. That's a wonderful promise to us. God cares about our children. He will take care of the lambs. But more than that, he says that as we nurse the children, he takes care of us as well. He says he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. So we are not alone. He never leaves us alone. He has our children in his hands, but more so when we have young children, he carries us as well, guiding us. Let's depend on him. Let's trust him, and he will see us to a good end. Our children will do well. Amen. Amen. So Tuesday, we're going to continue. We'll have one and a half hours. So it's going to be more time to ask all kinds of questions, to go into details, and to pray as well. Thank you all very much, panelists, for your wonderful contributions, and thank you all very much for listening and contributing as well. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.